We continue in our series in times like these, Luke chapter 19. Let's pray. Lord, give us understanding of your word. Lord, that we might be equipped for every good work, weapons for the right hand, weapons for the left hand, a heart that stayed on you, our eyes focused on you. Lord, that we might be found faithful in our time, in our place. Lord, I pray that we would see a great harvest. Not only are Christians confused, the world is confused, things are upside down. And there's an opportunity, Lord. I pray that we might be found faithful to enter into your harvest, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Just to put us in context, Jesus has just finishing up the last phase of his ministry. He has been spending time just with his disciples, those who would be his apostles. There's had the transfiguration where he, they got to see his glory, James, John, and Peter. And he's been down to Jerusalem. And now he heads back up and he comes back down with the pilgrims. He is giving the people in Israel every single opportunity to respond to him as Savior, as their Lord, as their King. So he goes back up and he comes, he's coming back down with the pilgrims and he's healing and he's teaching, and now he comes to Jericho, and Jericho is just at the bottom of the hill. It's probably 10, 15 miles to up to Jerusalem from there. And as he enters Jericho, he heals Bartimaeus of his blindness. And as he's passing through, Zacchaeus. And it says there, there's a man called by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. He was somebody in Jericho. And of all the people that we would look at, we say, well, that guy is probably not going to come to Christ. He's probably not going to be a believer because he's rich. He's on the wrong side of everything politically. He's on Rome's side. He's not on the Jewish side. And he's a turncoat to his own people. So he's probably not going to become a believer. But to see, the thing is, the Bible says, don't be afraid of their faces. And God told Samuel he's looking for a king to anoint David. He said, man looks on the outward appearance. God looks on the heart. See, God has to do the work in a heart. The outward circumstances, the, the, the position someone's in, where they're at in their life, has no bearing of what the gospel's going to do. It's what God has done in their heart. And Zacchaeus, you've sung about him. If you grew up in Sunday school, he was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. And so, wanting to see the Lord, he decided he better climb up in a sycamore tree and get an idea. So he ran ahead of the crowd. He wanted to see the Lord. And he climbed up in the sycamore tree. And the Lord came, and this is so precious. The Lord came, stopped under the tree, and said, Zacchaeus, why don't you climb down? I'm coming to your house. How did the Lord know that? It was God that was working on his heart. And Jesus, as an example for us, was spending time with the Father in prayer. And John 5, 19 and 20 says that Jesus worked where God was working. The world, even the other believers, the disciples, the apostles would have missed Zacchaeus, but the Lord never misses one. Not one. So when God burdens your heart for that one, and you say, Lord, I don't, 
I don't know if you can save that one. I mean, you can do anything, Lord, but that one. But he burdens your heart. He gives you a love for that person. You begin to pray. You be earnest in your prayer because I believe God does that to his children so he can show us his glory. And so you pray. Zacchaeus got saved that day. And the change of his heart, he said, Lord, I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I've defrauded anyone of anything, well, that's a big statement. He's saving half for everybody else, right? Then I will pay them back four times. And Jesus said to him, today, today, salvation has come to this house. And other people were saying, why is he going to hang out with that sinner? I mean, that guy's a lead singer. He's, he's, such, a, he's such a terrible sinner. He's against his people. He's on the wrong side of everything. Why would he spend time with him? Verse 10 says, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Now, some of the apostles around him and those kind of come up to Jerusalem, they've seen these miracles. They've seen the healing. They've heard his teaching. And so they start getting excited. Verse 11, while they were listening to these things, Jesus went on to tell a parable because... He was near Jerusalem, and they supposed that the kingdom of God was going to appear immediately. I mean, the disciples had seen him in his glory, right? He had told them over and over, I'm going down to Jerusalem. I'm going to be accused falsely. I'm going to be persecuted by the leadership, and I'm going to die, and then I'll rise again. But they don't, they don't get this. They think, obviously, he's got a different plan now because look at everything that's going on. We can just take over. He can feed people. What a king. He can heal people. He can take care of us. What a, what a governor. And so he tells them a story that they would be familiar with. You see, Herod, there were several Herods now because Herod the Great had died and his sons had taken over. But in order for them to rule, they had to go to Rome. They just decided to be king on their own. Everybody lived under Roman government. So Jesus gave this parable, and they would be familiar with it. In fact, I think Zacchaeus would probably be pretty familiar with it also because he was very successful under Herod's rule. Verse 12, a nobleman went to a distant country to receive a kingdom for himself and then return. And Herod did that. He went off to Rome so he could continue what his father had had given, even though it was split up now. They wanted that peace, and they said, listen, we're going to, Continue to give all those taxes and squeeze the people and we'll keep Rome uh, rich from our portion. So he went off to do that. And before he did that, he called 10 of his slaves and gave them 10 minas, each one a mina. Now a mina is about 100 days wages, so let's just round it to three months. So I guess average in Wyoming is around forty dollars to $50,000. So let's say he gave them $12,000. Okay, And he said, do business with this until I come back. In the King James, I like what it says. It has kind of a military idea. Occupy till I come. You be occupied. And there's a clarification in the next verse that says, but his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him saying, we do not want this man to reign over us. 
And that's exactly what happened with Herod. The Jews knew what kind of people these Herods were. And so they got together. They sent a delegation. They said, hey, don't, hey, you got to have somebody better. You can pick somebody better than this. But in spite of that opposition, understanding, Jesus said, I send you out as sheep among ravenous wolves. You do business till I return. You see, it's easy for us to get our eyes off the Lord and eyes on our circumstances. They're thinking, hey, this this could go well. If Jesus would just now take the kingdom, just take it by force, he's got the power. The apostles were convinced that he was God. The people were convinced he could do a lot of things. This would be smooth for them. But that wasn't God's plan. God's plan is that Jesus finish the work of salvation at the cross and die and go back to heaven and send the Holy Spirit that we might have the understanding of the word, that we might have the power of our giftedness, that we would have the opportunity to fulfill our purpose in life, the purpose for which God laid hold of us for. John MacArthur recently preached a couple of messages In one of those messages, he talked about Romans 1. You want to turn there. I think it's it's worth noting. Romans chapter 1, just quickly. Verse 18. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. So he's not talking about what's going to come. He says... This is when you can recognize God's wrath being on a culture, on a nation. Because that which is known about God is evident within them. God made it evident to them. They have a conscience. They have creation to look at, verse 20. For since the creation of the world is invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made so that they are without excuse. But even though they knew God... They did not honor him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man, of birds, four-footed animals, and crawling creatures. What does the world say today? What does our government say? They talk about Mother Nature. They worship animals over humans. They exchanged the glory of God. Therefore, God gave them over. See, this is God's wrath. He, a culture says, no, we'll not have God reign over us. We're not going to have his rules over us. We're going to tear his fetters from us. As believers, we don't look at God's law, the commands of Christ, as, as something holding us back. It's our protection. But they say, oh, no, no, we're going to cast these change off of us. So God gave them over in the lust of their hearts to impurity. 1960, we saw the sexual revolution. People need to be set free. They need to be able to express themselves. We don't need marriage anymore. You know, just have free sex. Just, just go out there and enjoy yourself. God gave us over to that. Why? Because before that, we'd already made the ruling, no God for us. 
We don't, we don't want God having too much influence, so no prayer in schools. In our success and all of God's blessing, we decided we didn't need, need God anymore, and we pushed him out. Then it says, they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worship and serve the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Verse 26, for this reason, God gave them over to degrading passions. For even their women exchanged the natural function for that which is unnatural. In the same way, also the men abandoned the natural function of the woman and burned in their desire towards one another. Men with men committing indecent acts, receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. God gave us over to that as a nation, as a culture. God has given us over. We've already seen the homosexual revolution. It seems like it's all around us, and we are praising and celebrating things that are amazing. Even the world is going, what's happening? At the ESPY Awards, when uh, they gave Bruce Jenner that award for being transgender, and and, uh, they have to keep panning away from a lot of the old athletes like Red Favre and different guys because they had that look on their face like yeah everybody's confused but see that's because God's given us over and now we're celebrating things and everybody's so, oh it's just that's the way it is you have to accept it we've already gone through that now what's the third part and just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer God gave them over to a depraved mind to do those things that are not proper, being filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice, their gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful. And although they know the ordinance of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they not only do the same, but also give hearty approval to those who practice them. The best thinkers in our nation cannot think straight anymore. The best. Our Supreme Court. John MacArthur pointed out that the terrorists that are destroying this nation are not Muslim. It's our own nation, our Supreme Court, that in 1973 decided we should kill our own children. See, that's the wrath of God abiding on us. That a nation can say, the next generation, if they get in our way, let's just murder them. Everybody goes, yeah, uh-huh, yeah, that's, that's what we ought to do. And we just accepted it. And now they've taken another stand and they've destroyed the family. They've said, hey, God's, God's definitions, God's laws are not binding on us. We will cast his fetters from us. And so John MacArthur went on to say, you're not going to save this culture. So don't waste your time trying to save this culture, get more people in office so they're somehow going to turn the tide. The only hope for this culture is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the only hope. And he made this statement. I want to read it to you. And remember this. To convert a sinner from his eternal doom is an event of far greater significance than the deliverance of an entire nation from temporal evil. Did you get that? To convert one sinner from his eternal doom is an event of far greater significance than the deliverance of an entire nation from temporal evil. We're not here to deliver a nation from temporal evil. 
We're here to say with the Apostle Paul, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes. For in the gospel is revealed the righteousness of Jesus Christ. So as Jesus said in the great Sermon on the Mount, be salt, be light. Don't try to figure out how to cover your light and get through life so you can slide into heaven safely. Let your light so shine before men that they might see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Be salt in their wounds that they can wake up because they're uncomfortable with you. But even in the midst of your persecution, your trials, they can say, how can you still have hope? Like Athanasius, the great church father, taking a stand for the truth of the deity of Christ. They told him, Athanasius, the whole world is against you. Athanasius said, then Athanasius is against the whole world. We're not going to bow down. We're not going to compromise. We're not going to change to be safe. Because this is our time and our place. It's our time to do business. We can't do business after we're dead. We can't do business yesterday. Today is the day to do business for the kingdom of God. Now, what is that he placed in their hands? Well, about $12,000. And in the midst of all the citizens hating the king that they're working for, it seems unfair. The king says, you do business for me. Our king says, listen, I've given you this precious treasure. Second Corinthians chapter 4, the treasure hidden in earthen vessels, the treasure of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's our treasure. You invest that treasure for the kingdom. What happened? Well, verse 15, when he returned after receiving the kingdom, he ordered that these slaves to whom he had given the money be called to him that he might know what business they had done. The first appeared saying, Master, your mina has made 10 more. Ten times. I don't know how long the king was gone. We don't know when the Lord's going to return. But this fella had turned 12000 into $120,000. That's a faithful servant. He had to focus on his business to get that done. It didn't happen just because he thought, well, God's sovereign, you know, so I'll just hang out here and, and God will just bless. No, no, he had the purpose in his heart that he would be faithful with the stewardship God had given him. And every believer in Jesus Christ has the same exact opportunity. You have the treasure of Jesus Christ. Are you making that multiply? Are you doing business with your giftedness? He said, well done, good slave, because you have been faithful in a very little thing. You are to be an authority over 10 cities. Wow. 10 cities for $12,000? The Bible says the little that we suffer here cannot be compared to the weight of glory that we will enjoy in heaven. 1 Corinthians 15, Paul said, listen, Jesus has taken the sting out of death. 2 Corinthians 5, he said he's taken the fear out of death 
Because to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So if they do their very worst, Jesus said, don't fear him. They can take away your physical life. No, you fear the Lord. And you be faithful to him. You stand for him because it will be worth it. The second came saying, your mina master has made five minas. So he turned 12,000 into 60,000, just rounding up, okay? Or rounding down probably. That's not bad. In that amount of time, it's not bad. Jesus said in the kingdom, every true believer is fruitful. Every true believer. When you look at Matthew 13, he said some of the seed falls on the roadside and the birds snatch it away and no fruit. Those people never think about the gospel again. They're the, they're the ones that scare me the most. The people that are friendly to you, you share the gospel to them, they're still friendly and they smile and they go on their way and they never think about it. Somebody gets angry at you, that's okay. That's some salt. They're thinking about it. You've made them think. That's what Jesus was doing with the parables. People understand, but the people that cared said, Lord, we don't understand. Would you explain that to us? Some of the seed falls among the stones, and at first it springs up. But then it says the sun comes out. Because it has no root within itself, it withers and dies. And Jesus said that's their reaction to the word of God. By and by, they're offended by the word. Like Pliable and Pilgrim's Progress, they're all excited about heaven. They want to go to heaven. They like hanging out with Christians because they're such nice people. But when it comes down to their lifestyle, when their life gets run over by a storm coming through, and it's exposed, they have no foundation, they say, oh, well. You say, but, but here's what the word says. Yeah, yeah, you keep that. That's fine. I like the cultural stuff. I don't like the real stuff. And it says, they never had the truth. They never responded. God didn't prepare their hearts. They're not saved. Then it says, some falls among the thorns. They're in a patch of ground where the weeds grow up. And at first they received the word. But the weeds, the thorns choke it out. What is that? He said, that's the cares of this world. See, the first, they're offended by the word of God. The second crew, they're not offended by the word of God. They're just busy. They got other things to do. And, and pretty soon, the other things just kind of take over. No, no life. See, you can't snuff out the life of God that he places in a person's heart. You can't do it. John Bunyan used the illustration of before Pilgrim went any further on his journey, he talked to pastor, and, and the pastor showed him some pictures. And on one side, the devil's trying to put the fire out, and he's pouring wire, water on our coals through trials. And he said, but on the other side, when you go to the other side of the room, there's, there's the Holy Spirit putting oil on the fire. See? The righteous man falls down seven times, but he keeps getting back up again because the life of Christ cannot be snuffed out. But he goes on to say in that illustration about the seeds and the soil, some falls on good ground. That's the ground that God has prepared by the Holy Spirit. And it brings forth some 30-fold, some 100-fold, some 60-fold, and some 100-fold. All of the hearts that God has prepared brings forth fruit. All of it. There's no such thing as a fruitless, lifeless Christian. No such thing. 
So this fellow comes and he'd made five minus. He said to him, you're to be over five cities. Verse 20. Another came saying, Master, here's your mina, which I kept put away in my handkerchief, for I was afraid of you. Because you're an exacting man, you take up what you did not lay down and reap what you did not sow. Here's a fellow that, like the crowd around him, just like the crowd around him, he hated his master. He didn't love him because love casts out fear. So his motivation was fear. But it wasn't enough to motivate him to invest. He said to him, by your own words, I will judge you, you worthless slave. Did you know, did you know that I'm exacting man, taking up what I did not lay down and reaping what I did not sow? Then why did you not put my money in the bank? At least put it in the bank. And having come, I would have collected it with interest. And he said to the bystanders, the king did, Take the mine away from him and give it to the one who has, ten, has the ten minas. And they said to him, Master, he has ten minas already. I tell you that everyone who has, more shall be given. But from the one who does not have, even what he does not have shall be taken away. But these enemies of mine who do not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slay them in my presence. The Bible says one day there's going to be a great white throne judgment. And all the enemies of God going to pass before they're going to be judged according to their works and all of them will be cast into the lake of fire that's God's justice in their lives so you don't have to be afraid of their faces whatever they threaten you their end is coming but how do we treat our enemies do we hate them no the Bible says we're more than conquerors so we love them we pray for them to spitefully use us. We rejoice when they persecute us because we're identified with the prophets that have gone before us. This is our opportunity to do business. Are things going to change in America? Yes, things are changing so fast we can't believe it. And what we thought was, was just detestable because the Bible says it was and, and he put that kind of conscience in our heart is now accepted and celebrated. Almost as soon as the Supreme Court made their decision on homosexual marriage, polygamists began to apply. Recognize us too. And soon the animal lovers will reply and they'll say, recognize us too. Why? Because when there is no biblical standard, what's the standard? The Supreme Court just asked that question. What about multiple? Oh no, it's just between two people, the homosexual advocate said. Well, who says? What's your standard? Where do you get your standard from? Soon they'll, they'll make children. They're not a protected class anymore, and so perverts can go after them too because, hey, they need to be freed up to be able to experience this also. You say, oh, pastor, that could never happen. Judgment is already on us. But as we mentioned many times, we have an opportunity. It seems, I don't know what's going to happen, but it seems like the Pope of the Catholic Church is also being pressured into being accepting of these whole things. And the Catholic Church in many nations around the world has been that government, that, that, that foundation that gave them 
a point of reference for social um, right and wrong. And if the Pope says that's gone, people are going to be looking for an answer. Our opportunity to do business. Our opportunity. Because God already said in the law, when a nation goes after immorality, it begets violence. We see unreasonable violence happening. You can't even go to a movie theater and you got to think, hey, who's going to show up and try shooting people? How come? God's judgment is on us. But we, as the citizens of Christ, have this opportunity. So I want you to be praying with the elders. We need your wisdom. We need God's wisdom. We need you to be praying that we see a clear path where God is leading. Because we see opportunity. You know, when the communists took over North Korea, that's where all the Christians lived. They all lived in North Korea. And there's a friend of my father's named Dr. Kim. He was a theological, he was a professor in seminary, in Central Seminary. And later he was uh, teaching at Liberty University. And his testimony, I heard him as a boy, was that all the Christians live in North Korea and we weren't going to mess with those poor, poor people down in South Korea. Hmm, they just weren't classy. And God took communism and forced the Christians of North Korea into South Korea. And now South Korea is now probably the most Christian nation on the face of the earth today. God can do that. God used persecution to get the first Christians out of Jerusalem so that he could finally get him up the Antioch to begin the great missionary movement of the Apostle Paul. My friend Billy called me this week and he said, Pastor, some of these guys that we really admire and hold in high esteem are, they're saying, hey, there's a big crash coming in September. What do we do? The answer is we got to be praying. We need to be praying as a people. I don't know if that's going to happen. We've seen crashes before. But we want to make sure that we're doing exactly what the Lord comes so that when he comes, he finds us faithful. Faithful, doing business. And even during the worst of times, during the tribulation, there are going to be people being saved. It's going to be such a mission field. There's going to be such a harvest. The Bible says in heaven there will be some from every tribe, tongue, nation, and people group present in the worst of times. Because even when you plant a church at the gates of hell, the gates of hell will not prevail against the message of the gospel. You have in your hands as a believer a precious and powerful treasure. In Hebrews chapter 4, 15, it says, the word of God is sharp and powerful, more powerful than any two-edged sword, dividing Soul and spirit, joint and marrow. And that's the weapon he's giving you. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. So take God's word, hide it in your heart, and be ready always to give an answer of those that ask you of the hope that lies within you. Because every believer has been called to be an able minister of the gospel. An able minister. Able to apply the word of God, not just pastors, and elders and deacons, but every single believer, we have an opportunity to do business. So I want to share some prayer requests with you. 
We have an opportunity as a church. And we, we see opportunity for ministry in West Laramie that we don't have here. You say, well, that's not that far. It's not. But for some of those people that live over there, it's a world away. But as Henry Blackaby said, just to see a need and even have provision is not necessarily the will of God. We need to pray. We have an opportunity to purchase some land in a very good place over there. Right, right next to Linford School so that kids could come there after school. We could have after school programs. We could feed children that, that come from families that don't have a lot of food. We might be able to share, shelter people. You say, well, pastor, what are we waiting for? Hey, we're waiting on the Lord. This last week, we had an opportunity come up for us to be able to take over Riverside Chapel right by the park we're going to go to. It's a little Assembly of God church that has been, uh, gone out of business. The people kind of died off. And, and um, it's right there. The floods went through it. But the Assembly of God said, only if Laramie Valley Chapel is involved. We're not just going to give it to an individual. But again, here's an opportunity. But is it God's opportunity? God could be calling us maybe to, to start a set-free church and minister to people that are hurting that way and lives have been taken over by drugs and alcohol. And, but we need to pray. We know as school comes that our seams get stretched here and, and we need more room for counseling. We need more room for Sunday school. But we cover your prayers because we want God's answer on where to invest. Where do we invest our lives? And if we do that, that's just not a matter for the the pastors say, all right, here you go, new building, new location. What is your spiritual giftedness? You have the treasure. What is your spiritual giftedness? Where are you going to minister? Maybe God is already stirring hearts. You say, I, I would love the opportunity to be able to minister to kids and help them with their homework. Somebody else says, I love to cook. I would love the opportunity to feed kids every day and send food home for their family. Say, how are we going to do that, Pastor? I have no idea except for God. And one thing we have learned here and we are learning and we see clear from the Old Testament to now, God, all, God always provides for what he calls for. So we want to make sure that this is God and not Pablo and not you guys. This is God, okay? But we have such an opportunity because we live in a culture in Wyoming, that people are going, what? Is the whole world going nuts? Yeah. The world is being turned upside down, and those that were safe before are now looking, because of their money, the possibility of their money going away, going, okay, maybe we're ready to listen now. Our opportunity. So Jesus said, when you see these things come to pass... It's not to run and hide like the world is when they hear about the Lord coming back. They hide under the rocks and say, oh, hide us from he that is coming. No, no. He said, lift up your heads. Your redemption's coming. The Lord's coming back. But when you stand before the Lord, will it be with nothing but ashes? Because everything that you've done with your life has been for wood, hay, stubble. You would just, as a believer, you had the treasure, but you lived for yourself. That was your focus. Because the world buys that, a lot of the church buys that too. Just listen to a Dave Ramsey deal. You know, it's about wealth. Get all you can. 
Can't all you get, sit in the lid. Our protection is not our bank account. It is the God of glory. What has he gifted you for? What is your spiritual gift? We have this opportunity. Are we going to invest? Invest that which can never be taken away. And enjoy that for which when you get to heaven, you say, Lord, I didn't earn this. And the Lord will say, of course you didn't. I did. But child, you were faithful. You were faithful. Father, we thank you for your word. For the way the Lord tried to focus the people again on the cross and the miracle of one soul coming to know you as Savior. And Lord, on our opportunity to do business for you until you come, oh Lord, that we would be ready. Not caught up in the world, but ready. Oh Lord, give us those thoughts that make us think so we're not a people that's tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine that comes along, but Lord, we are deeply rooted in the love of Christ so that we're able to have courage and stand without fear. Though a host rise against us, we will not be afraid. Lord, because more than anything, more than anything, stir in our hearts that we want to hear from you, well done. Well done. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.